Turn with me to John chapter 9. Last week we looked at the various ways that sin and the consequences of sin are connected. We also saw that there are times when uh, we try to connect sin with bad things that are happening in our life inappropriately. Um, And we saw that there are various ways that we can sort of fall into the ditch on either side of the road, if you will. This week we're going to look at the same text, but we're going to read uh, much more of the story of what happened after Jesus healed the man born blind. And what we see this week is that we should be like the man born blind in various ways. In particular, though, in his obedience by faith. He obeys Jesus by faith. And it's set up in contrast to the Pharisees who deny the work of Jesus because they don't have faith and therefore they are putting their trust in their own self-righteousness. So let's stand as we read from God's Word starting at the beginning of John chapter 9. We'll be reading through verse 34. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day, Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisees, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him. 
that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I get too far into our text, I want to just bring a couple of things uh, back to your remembrance. As we've been going through the book of John, one of the things that we've seen over and over again is this emphasis on who Jesus is, where he came from, who his father is, and on what true belief looks like as opposed to false belief. These are themes that we've seen regularly. And so if you've, if you've read straight through the book of John up to this point, and you get here, then you would probably uh, remember there, some of these, you're seeing some of these themes brought back that we've just seen earlier in the book, in chapter 8, for example. <clears throat> uh, so this comparison between being uh, that, that Jesus, whether Jesus came from God and the, the religious leaders putting their hope rather in the fact that they're sons of Abraham was last chapter. Now in this case, we see that they're putting their hope in the fact that they're disciples of Moses. Followers of the teaching of Moses is what, is what that means, to be disciples of Moses. And so... Uh, you have the religious leaders setting up a contrast between themselves and Jesus by saying that they follow Abraham or are sons of Abraham or they follow Moses or they, they have the obedience to the commands of the law. 
but that uh, Jesus, of course, who knows who he is? Well, of course, Jesus has been emphasizing over and over again who he is and saying, among other things, that if he wasn't from God, he couldn't do anything, that all he ever does is do the works of the Father who sent him. And so you see this in the answer of the blind man at the end of this chapter, or at the, at the end of what we read, where he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There's an echo of things that we've seen and heard Jesus say earlier in the book there. And so it's, it's, it's yet another person giving testimony of the truth of what Jesus says and of the ability for all of the people to know it and to understand it. In other words, the works of Jesus made it perfectly clear to everybody that he was from God. In this case, the work was the healing of this blind man, and he treats the Pharisees and the religious leaders like they're idiots for not seeing it. Well, here's an amazing thing, you know. We've never, ever, ever, ever heard since the beginning of the world of anybody being able to heal somebody who was born blind, and yet this man does. And you can't figure out anything about him or where he came from. Isn't that amazing? So he's being sarcastic with them. Not surprisingly, they don't take very kindly to that, and they throw him out of the synagogue, right? Well, that's a sad thing, and that's, why, that's what his parents were afraid of. But it comes out of the fact that he is not ashamed to speak the truth about who Jesus is, even to those he knows are denying it. So this man, we don't know really anything about him except that he was born blind. And here he is, and he's echoing the words of Jesus. He's echoing these themes that we've seen throughout the book. And this seems to be why John includes the story and includes the details that he, that he does, is because John is focused on showing us who Jesus is so that we might believe and that believing we may have life in his name, in the name of Jesus. And so I want us to see ourselves like this blind man. I want us to recognize that we start out blind, helpless, and enslaved to sin. And that without Christ, who as we see in verse 5, is the light of the world, without him to open our eyes, there is no hope of our eyes being opened. There is no hope of us receiving what we truly need because from birth we are unable to get it for ourselves. We start out from the very beginning of our life unable to get for ourselves what we truly need. This is such an important thing for us to understand because if we think that we can get, it for, get what we need for ourselves, then that means that we are going to be like the Pharisees.
So what is it that we truly need? Well, we're tempted to think that we need a certain amount of money, that we need a certain standard of living, certain kinds of clothes, we need a certain kind of vehicle, we need a certain amount of health, we need all kinds of physical things. And you could set the bar anywhere you want, from very low, oh, well, all I need is something to cover me, and a bicycle is fine for me for getting around. And as long as I've got some kind of roof over my head, I'm fine. Or you could set the bar very, very high and say, well, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, and I want to have a nice house, and I want to be, you know, you put the bar really high or put the bar really low, but if all you're talking about is your physical needs, your physical well-being, food, clothing, shelter, you're missing the point. Okay? You're missing the point. The blindness of this man is a physical ailment, right? It's a physical sickness, a physical problem. But it represents to us the kind of deep spiritual problem that we start out with in our lives. The blindness that we have is deeper than just a physical blindness. It's not just about our physical eyes. So you may be able to get the money that you need to live. But our true need is to be healed of a wound that is much, much deeper than we can touch or that any doctor can ever touch. That's how we start. And then Christ shows up and commands us to obey him. He gives us commands. And the commands do not have any appearance of being something amazing. If you think through, uh, if you think through the Old Testament, you can think of the Ten Commandments, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. You think about those kinds of commandments, right? And then you think, well, they can be summed up as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So those can be summed up together. And then you think, okay, well, what kinds of other commands are there? And you think into the New Testament. You've got a lot, a lot, a lot of commands to love one another, right? And you've got a lot of additional sins that you're told to avoid that flow out of those Ten Commandments. And you've got a lot of commands to... uh, to do things that flow out of love for one another, like sharing with one another in our needs, mourning with one another and rejoicing with one another. All that flows out of having a love for each other, right? But they don't really have much of an appearance of being able to benefit us. If you think about this deep, deep need, and you think about the, the, the command to obey all of these commands, right? If you think about it honestly, you realize, I mean, all of those things are good, 
but there's really no hope in obeying all of those commands that my deep-seated sickness would ever be affected or healed by doing those things. And that's what we see in this passage with the blind man. You got the blind man being told, now go wash your eyes after Jesus puts mud on his eyes, right? And what, what natural hope is there in that being any benefit to him? Well, aside from the fact that his face won't have mud on it anymore. You've got a simple benefit, right? He's got mud on his face. Well, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. Okay, well, I mean, I guess I'll get some benefit. My face won't have mud on it anymore. That's the way that we ought to look at the commands in relation to our deep, deep illness, our spiritual blindness that we have. It's not washing that heals him. All washing does is get dirt off of him. Right? In the same way, it's not baptism that heals us, that, that washes us. All what we see, the, the description of baptism is, you know, all it is is the washing away of dirt from the flesh in that sense. And yet, what do we see here? What we see is that the blind man goes to the pool, he washes in obedience to the command of Jesus, and he receives his eyesight. For the first time in his life, he's able to see after obeying Jesus. And so in spite of the fact that these commands don't have any obvious appearance of being able to really benefit that core hurt that we need help to be healed from, what we see here is that there's some connection between the man born blind obeying Jesus and receiving his eyesight. Now what is that connection? The connection is faith. And it's the same connection that is necessary for us to receive any benefit from our own washing of baptism. Do you understand? Just like this man washing mud off his face benefits him nothing apart from faith, so our own washing away the dirt from our bodies in baptism benefits us nothing apart from faith. It takes faith to actually obey him. Think about the man in this story who goes and he washes. Why does he go and wash? He goes and washes because he wants to receive his eyesight. Now, it doesn't say that in the text, but you can understand what's going on. Here is Jesus. He knows who it is who's done this to him, right? He knows the name. He knows the stories. Jesus has just been talking to his disciples about why he's blind. 
And then he puts mud on his eyes and he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. The choice that he faces is whether or not to obey. And the decision that he makes to go obey is a decision that flows out of his faith that Jesus is able to heal that blindness. And so our own belief, so our own faith must be that Jesus is able to do what we truly need. If you obey because you believe that it's possible for Jesus to make you healthy and wealthy, well, you're, you're right. He is able to do that. But that is not the faith that we are called to. That is actually just living according to the flesh. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read a few verses, 13, 14, and 15. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Papa. It's what your kid says when they're two and they're waddling, toddling towards you with their arms raised. Dada. Why can we say that to him? Well, because we've received the spirit of adoption, of sons. Right? But we don't start out that way. That's, the, that's what the word adoption shows us there. That we were not sons and then we were sons. And that there's a huge difference between the two. It demonstrates the healing of that need, the, the fulfillment of that need that we start with. So what else do we see in that passage in Romans? Well, one of the things that is demonstrated is that <clears throat> the way we receive the spirit of adoption is connected to our obedience, isn't it? If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's a description of obedience, and yet there's that little modifier in there. By the Spirit. By the Spirit. And that is the centerpiece of our faith and how we are to obey. By the Spirit. Because no other obedience will benefit you in any way. This is the obedience that comes by faith. If you attempt to obey through self-will, your own willpower, rather than by the Spirit of God, you might succeed for a time. And you might succeed in certain ways. 
but the benefit will never be what you really need. The benefit will only ever be getting the mud off your face. It won't be the healing of your eyesight, receiving for the first time in your life the ability to see as you truly need to. Self-help books, willpower recipes, they are worthless for the healing that we truly need, in spite of the fact that they may help you kick a particular bad habit or sin, or start doing something that's good. And you will receive some small amount of benefit from doing those things, even if it is just by your own sheer force of will, you'll receive some small benefit from it, but not the true benefit that you need. We see this in, a Luke, in, in Luke 11. Turn there with me. We see a description of what happens to the man who kicks a bad habit <clears throat> Not by faith, not by the Spirit, but by sheer force of willpower. Luke eleven twenty four. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Think about that. This is what happens when we kick our sins out of our heart, cleanse our heart from anything good, I mean, from anything bad but not by faith. We end up with an empty heart. The house has been swept clean and hasn't been filled like it needs to be filled. It hasn't been filled with worship of God by faith. And therefore, it's empty and just waiting for all sorts of other evils to come in. And even the one evil that we thought we had gotten rid of to return. We must obey simply by faith, as this blind man does, trusting God for our healing. Now, what do I mean to obey simply by faith? Because our temptation at this point is to say things like, well, you know, I've tried to obey, and I keep failing, and that sin keeps coming back. So it must be that I'm, you know, I've just, I'm, maybe I'm not a Christian, or I don't know, or this is hopeless. There's no, there's no chance for this to ever bear real fruit. But think about the blind man here. It's a simple story. He's blind. Jesus puts mud on his face, says, go wash it off. And what does he do? He goes 
and he washes and he receives his sight. If you think back to the Old Testament, there's a similar kind of story in the Old Testament where a man is told to do something that doesn't seem to have any bearing on actually healing him. He has leprosy, and he comes to the prophet of God, and the prophet says, go wash in the river seven times, and you'll be clean. And the guy is a big, powerful military commander, and he gets all angry and says, we've got better rivers where I came from. And he storms off, right? But finally, his servants prevail on him, and they say, no, 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 come on. If, if he had told you to ride around the world and shoot 45 cows and strangle the dragon and do some sort of amazing heroic deed, you would have been glad to do it, right? So why not go ahead and go wash in the river? It's worth a shot, right? Now this connects us to the Pharisees, okay? Because the Pharisees want to save themselves. The Pharisees want to receive their righteousness by the very act of their obedience rather than obeying by faith and receiving righteousness. They're convinced that they're able to see without the help of Jesus. And this is exactly what you see with the Old Testament guy. He wants, he wants to save himself. You understand? He wants to do some great deed that will then be good enough, big enough, amazing enough that he'll be cleansed on his own, by his own power. And this is what we want from our deeds. We want to do some great, amazing thing that will cleanse us. But there is no great amazing thing that will cleanse us. There is no great amazing thing we can do to become sons of God. There is no great amazing thing that we can do to receive sight. The only thing we can do is that humble obedience by faith of just going and washing the mud off your face. And this is how we're to obey. Not because we think it will make us good. Not because we think it will give us sight. But because we know God has said, do this. And you shall live. And so we say, I believe him. And that's through belief then through faith, that we go and obey. We're tempted, like the Jews, to reject those works of God as not really of God because we want to look to our own self-righteousness. If you think about, if you think about kids... Have you ever had this? Uh, have you ever had this experience where <clears throat> there's two kids and they're arguing and they're fighting, and you say stop, 
and the one of them stops and the other wants to start arguing with you. Maybe you kids have done this. You ever done that? Your parents intervene and then you start wanting to talk back to your parents. And maybe, maybe you're even in the right. Maybe your, maybe your sister, maybe your brother did start it. Maybe they were being mean to you, right? How many of you have ever had your brother or sister actually be mean to you? Has that ever happened? No. No. Yes. No. <laughs> All of you? <laughs> and so you think, you're in, you think you're so in the right. Dad says, you too stop fighting. You too stop arguing. Both of you stop it right now. And you're like, but he was blah, 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 blah. And your brother just stops. Does it make any sense for you to argue with your parents? No. There's no benefit that comes from trying to claim your own righteousness. Trying to justify yourself and say, I was being good, blah, 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 blah. No, you weren't. Your dad just had to tell you to stop. Right? This is the way it is with us and God all the time. We know we're sinning, but we feel justified because somebody else made us do it. We know we're sinning, but we feel like we want to justify ourselves. And so, here somebody else is who's done way worse things than us, and they just say, God help me. It's the only hope there is for me. And we want to say, well, uh, how come, you know, I worked hard my whole life to obey God, and here he is at the end of his life, and he, you know, just, just like that, he just stops, and, and he gets the same benefit that I get? And we start arguing with God and saying, but I worked so much harder. I did so many good things. I did all of this stuff. What is that? That's being exactly like the Jews. That's them saying, no, no, he can't be being good. He can't be obeying God by going and washing in the pool. This can't be the work of God that Jesus is demonstrating in him, in healing him. Because that would mean that all of our works are pointless. We've got Moses. We've got all of the work that we've done. We're the ones who've been working hard to, to sustain these commands over and over and over for years. And so they look for fault. They look for fault in the man who was blind and now sees. They get angry at him and they throw him out of the synagogue. And they look for fault in Jesus. And they say, that's unjust. Well, that's what we say. They say, he didn't keep the Sabbath. Well, one of their pet things that they loved to focus a lot on was the Sabbath. But one of our pet things that we like to focus on a lot is fairness. Right? That's not fair. Why do they kick the man who was born blind out of the synagogue? 
The reason is because he is calling them to simple obedience in Christ. He's saying, be his disciple. Give up on your silly righteousness that's not benefiting you. This guy has what can heal you. This guy has what can give you life. And it doesn't give us any credit for the power. It doesn't give us any credit for the work either. Who in their right mind is going to say, well, yes, I went down to the pool and I washed the mud off my face and now I can see. As if that has anything to do with it. As if you've done something great. It's ridiculous to think about talking that way, right? When we obey by faith and we see the blessing of God, which is what? New life in his name. We don't look at our obedience at that point and say, yeah, so I obeyed by faith and then I got something good that came out of it. It was eternal life and adoption as a son. That is ridiculous. What you say is, you, they ask you, no matter how many times they ask you, how did you get new life? How were you healed? You were such a jerk before. Why are you such a different person now? What happened? All you ever say over and over and over again is, Jesus came and he told me to go wash and I did it and now I'm changed. You just point to Jesus over and over and over again because you know there's nothing that you've done. And so all of the credit goes to Christ, which is exactly what he says is going to happen, isn't it? When the disciples ask, why was this man born blind? Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? And Jesus says, neither. But what? Go back to the very beginning. So that, in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, what are the works of God that are displayed in him? Well, it's his restored eyesight, yes. But that's not really the works of God that are displayed. The works of God that are displayed in him are when we get to the end of the chapter and we see his faith. We see him calling the Pharisees to believe in Jesus. That's an amazing work of God being displayed in him, isn't it? And so the Pharisees are right when they say, you were born in sin. But what they don't get is, they were born in sin too. <laughs> the difference between them and the man born blind is that he knows his need and he turns to God. By faith. Rather than seeking to save himself. We always want to look at the outward need as the true need. But those outward needs are just a symptom of our true need. The need for forgiveness of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. We always want to try to 
do it ourselves, to save ourselves somehow. I was, this week I went down, ran, ran down into the basement to save Eliza from a locked door. She was stuck in a room, started crying, <clears throat> screaming actually. So that's why I was running. I mean, it wasn't more than 30 seconds that she was stuck in that room. And I got her out and tears streaming down her face. And I say, you can just, you just call for mommy. Call for daddy. We'll come. I'll come. I want to rescue you. I will be there for you. She goes, I don't need anybody to rescue me. I don't want to be rescued. Isn't that us? Here we are. We're in the midst of the misery of our life, and somebody says to you, turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. And we say, I don't want to be saved. That's what we're tempted to do every time. I'm going to take care of myself. You can't take care of yourself. You can't heal yourself. You're blind. You're in your sins. You're, you're dying. You're dead. You're on your way to the grave without salvation. Save yourself by turning in faith to Jesus Christ. You have a true need. You ought to know it from what you just went through. Turn to Him before it's too late. Call to Him. He is the light of the world. And you say, yeah, but all of, these, all of these nasty things that I've done, all of this sin that I've built up over time, don't I have to do something with it? And I say, yeah, yeah, you do. You just have to drag it into the light. And Jesus is the light. You drag that sin into the light and he obliterates it. It's gone. Taken away. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. Praise God. What a beautiful story. What a perfect hope. What a description of how we are. Blind, blind, blind. Nothing we can do about it always been that way. And then Jesus comes. Let's turn to him in prayer.